My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Joan Shelley's songs have soundtracked many meaningful moments for me over the last decade. Her music is often rooted in Brit folk aesthetics. Finger-picked acoustic guitars, Richard Thompson-inspired electrics, sparse percussion or drums. But there's a lot of ground covered on her album, stylistically. Often, she works with her husband, guitarist and musicologist, as well as a previous guest here on Transmission, Nathan Salzberg, and collaborators like James Elkington, Jeff Tweedy, Bonnie Prince Billy, and others. I've interviewed Joan for Aquarium Drunkard a few times, but this is the first time we've spoke for Transmissions. It was a pleasure to reach out to her in Kentucky from my place in Arizona. And though both our states are currently embroiled in some truly terrible political situations, uh, we recorded this talk some ways back. Uh, So uh, as a credit to Joan's creative thinking and inquisitive mind, I think this talk offers a a respite from some of the terrible conditions of the last couple of weeks. Uh, Before we head into the talk, I want to take a second to encourage you to head over to Aquarium Drunkard and explore our vast library there of interviews, mixtapes, audiovisual specials, lanyap sessions, and much, much more. If you want to support Aquarium Drunkard, which includes the Transmissions podcast, check us out on Patreon. All right, Joan Shelley's latest is called The Spur, and it's out now on No Quarter Records. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. You're listening to Transmissions. Here we are with Joan Shelley. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. How you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling. So <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, kind of a lazy Sunday morning. Uh, kind of a late Saturday night, which has been a rarity for a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. How about you? Similar. We had a we had a show here last night uh, with some friends of friends, and it's like the most social I've been in a while. So I don't know if that makes me a uh, slight dud today or like I'm well, talked out or maybe better maybe seeing people is a good thing it turns out <laughs> I, I, th- I, th- I think it is I think it is so you so you had a show there at your place in Kentucky is that right yeah we um who played a really casual thing it was the Powers Rollin duo they are kind of they're an instrumental kind of experimental hammer dulcimer and guitar and 12 string yeah. guitar very string heavy it's beautiful they rule, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Where do you where do you host uh, performances at your place? Well, see, when we lived in, or Nathan used to have an office in town that had a sign out front from the previous owner called Clovine, and he would show, have shows there forever, like for bands who were just kind of passing through and wanted to pass the hat kind of shows. So his office, he moved out here since COVID and built an amazing office, and so we had one right on the the patio outside his office, which is in the barn. So that's awesome. Is that the one that I've seen photos of that has all the records? Uh, or is that the inside shelves, the main yeah. house? Okay. No, that's his office. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's so cool. When I had, <laughs> when he was on transmissions last uh, year for listeners who, I, I mean, I think most listeners would understand that Nathan Salzberg is your partner and your collaborator artistically. Um, mm-hmm. But when he was on, uh, I talked with him about, about the goats and uh, so now, and I'm excited because now I get to ask you about goats and chickens and, uh, mm. and the, and the vibe out there. Um <laughs> Is this is this place where you're living now? And uh, pardon me if I'm being reductive in referring to it as like a rural situation. Um, it, have you ever have you ever lived with with like animals like this? Yeah, I grew up with uh, my mom raises uh, breeds and sells horses, so she, I grew up on a little similarly sized small like farm uh, with all kinds of characters goats. Yeah. There were ducks for a while and it was goats for a while, but it was always horses and then tons of dogs and cats and whatever. They would, we would get a lot of dumped dogs on that road and cats and stuff. People would abandon animals. And my mom would just like, you know, feed them all, welcome all kinds. So, yeah, that's cool. So it's, it's kind of, uh, you're, you're, you know, uh, you're accustomed to it at least at, in some, to some degree. Oh yeah. I'm definitely perpetuating a pattern. <laughs> yeah. It's not my choice. It's just me. <laughs> well, that's that's awesome. I mean, how how long have you have you lived out there? How long have the two of you had that that place? Um, Nathan moved in two years ago, but um, I've been here for I think six years now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it never really felt regular because we would. It was kind of a retreat once we stopped touring and kind of mixing up our our life with, you know, travel. So it really feels like I've just moved here about three years ago. Sure. Sure. I mean, and obviously have had a lot of, uh, opportunity to stay there and to be, you know, is this yeah. the longest, I mean, uh, you've been playing music now for, I think I was, I was kind of, I mean, obviously you've been playing music for a long time. I think your debut solo thing is turning 10 this year, right? Ginkgo. I mean, so yeah. Is this this last stretch, you know, the pandemic and the whatever phase of the pandemic we're in now where it's semi over but not over? Uh, is that the longest stretch that you had been home sort of uninterrupted in in a while? Yeah, I was thinking about it recently, I guess since high school. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even then we probably go on like a family vacation. I mean, sure. I guess I'm not alone. A lot of people were like, OK, wow, no travel. That's that's new to some of us who have the privilege to do it often. Um, yeah. How much did you find that you missed live performance? I mean, it's interesting to really piece, be able to see clearly the different aspects of live performance and be like, Oh, I missed this. And I did not yeah. miss this. And actually this is not sustainable and all that kind of thing. <laughs> sure. I miss seeing other musicians very badly. Um, that was like to have friends and musicians to talk about this thing with in person, not just over the, um, the internet. Like, that was such a big thing because, because music is about audible space, you know, sharing the yeah. reverb or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so I missed that. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you have some musician friends out there, right? Like is Will Oldham and, and his family, are they pretty close to your, your place? 
they're in town, which is a 30 minute drive from here. So it's not like a casual right now. It's not like a casual distance, but uh, we do see them pretty regularly. Yeah. I, I ask in part because while I was interviewing Will Oldham and Bill Callahan, who's on the spur with you, um, uh-huh. an incredible song, by the way, uh, that the two of you did. Um, but while I was interviewing the, uh, Will and, and Bill about that, uh, like Nathan was just there for a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was such a funny thing. It was like over Zoom, just like we're doing now. Um but I, uh, I didn't expect to see him and I was like, oh, how cool is that? And then I just started thinking about how cool it would be to be close to all of you and like be able to pop over. But yeah, I mean, half hour drive is not terrible, but it's also, like you said, it's not just down the road or anything. Yeah. I used to live a lot closer to everybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now you're out in the a little bit more secluded. I wonder, you know, it's funny. The Spur is like such a good record, by the way. I, sh- I should, I should, I should say that. I should make that very clear up front. I believe Thanks. this Spur is an awesome album. Um, and it's so cool to hear. It's, I mean, I'm such a fan of your songwriting and such a fan of the way that you play with words and the way that you play with space and the way that you play with the kind of like, there's there's always a kind of sort of um beautiful tension in the records between a sort of like stillness and restlessness and this this album absolutely has that like so much but it it also has so many just cool and interesting sounds happening on it um i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm just hearing it through my my lens but like like the thunder that almost feels like a rock and roll song to me like you could probably rock on that song if you wanted uh someone else could definitely <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't think you you don't you don't have the 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 desire necessarily to rock uh too too hard <laughs> i think i do i think everybody with a little kid in them has that desire and i yeah. always have been a person who's like well other people do that so here's a version that I would do. And it's, I'm always kind of restraining that impulse. So that's yeah. as, like, that's as close to the edge as I've taken myself and been like, all right. And now, you know, like you can't have drums that big. Let's dial it back. You can't have, you know, just like sure, sure. kind of making an anti-rock song is my obsession. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's, there are, there are a lot of moments on the record that are, uh, you know, a little bit more full band, uh, not a lot. I mean, you, you, you're, you're, you're doing your thing, but I, I love to hear the new sort of wrinkles that are added to it. Um, I think your last, your last full length came out in 2019, right? That sounds right. I've lost track of the linear I mean, time, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it was a whole different world when that one came out, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for all of us, but I mean, also for, for you, um, for you personally, I, I imagine too. I mean, you you've, you 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 did a lot over the the last couple of years. You're you became a mother. You you know obviously. When when did you start writing these songs? Were were these uh, the term like pandemic record is such a gross thing at this point? It's so oh man, it's so boring. I mean, it was to, a beautiful <laughs> thing, but yeah, it's boring. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because it's just like oh yeah, I had a lot of time, so I wrote some songs, you know, or whatever. But I, but I am curious. Were these songs? Uh, you know how how what what kind of like time time span do these songs uh span 
It was before the pandemic, I had written some songs. I mean, I always write songs and I'm like, okay, we got a little momentum. You can tell when you get one or two songs and you're like, oh, this is a record. There's going to be a record behind these two. Yeah. They kind of come in pairs for me. And then, so I had those two kind of af- as we wrapped up the best hands band that I did with Jake Fossil and Nathan Bowles and Anna Crippen Staple and Nathan. And, um, it just kind of, those people are so inspiring that time, you know, you kind of ru- want to write a song for that band or things you're hearing. So yeah. I've done that and then got the information that we weren't going to be doing things for a while. <laughs> right. Right. And that's, so the rest of the songs kind of, um, came fast after that faster than they would have had I been more distracted with touring and doing things in the world. Sure. What, what were those two songs? The, the two songs that sort of started this record? It was when the light is dying and why not live here? Yeah. Which is yeah. funny because they seem very relevant. Um, they seem like something I should have written after for their themes. Well, sure, sure. It's, you know, um, you recorded this at how how far so is the is the studio uh, Earthwave Studio where you recorded this record is that also in town? No, it's actually in the country. It's on a farm um which is about 30 minutes from town but in a different direction so it's a, it was about a 40 minute drive for us. It was like the farthest we went from home during the whole shutdown. Yeah. Um, at a friend's place it's actually down the road from where Will Oldham recorded Ease Down the Road, I think, which is funny. We're down the road, Ease Down the Road, (laughs) using one of the same pianos from that farmhouse moves to this other farm. So, um, really cool place. You got a real farmhouse barn situation going out there, it sounds like. You've got a good network (laughs) of of barn adjacent structures to to work in. Yeah, there's a lot of... (laughs) The the countryside really has... uh, outbuildings to the advantage <laughs> yeah work with. well like the river loves the sea was you know like I, I i saw it described as a like a kind of love letter to kentucky but you recorded it in reykjavik right mm-hmm. so what was the process for you you know how, how did the those two um outings compare obviously you were much closer to home with this one uh did it, you know, did that, did that feel, how did that feel being, being able to sort of stick close to where these songs were, were born or, or sort of took, took, took shape in order to finish them up? It's interesting because I remember one of my last kind of poetic press release, like ways I tried to capture why I went to Iceland was this idea of like, it was interesting to me to try to understand home from this, from being away. Yeah. And specifically I was kind of getting fixated on the, um, I don't know what the name of the trench is, but the, the crack and the tectonic plates in the ocean where the Atlantic ocean is, is expanding this little amount every year. So it's like this, we have so many traditional songs in, in the American tradition that come from, uh, all the Western European countries that sent people over here. And, uh, and so like that divide keeps getting bigger. And I was like, Mm. Oh, that's, you know, I just want to live. I want to, I want to go across the divide and write some more songs. And 
And then this one was like this hilariously, oh, it's like, you want to know home? Like, here you go. (laughs) (laughs) You're home. And then that's no more escapism, (laughs) no more fantasy. Um, And I really appreciated that. I really needed it for my body and my sanity and like making a lot of the things I believe in, like, you know, back them up, like plant a tree that you're going to harvest in five years. Like, let's, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I fixate on that are about being rooted and I hadn't been for so long. So it was really, it was really valuable to me to get the chance to kind of walk the walk and look closely at my people, my family, my place, the ugly and the beautiful. Yeah. You know, it, that there's something that I, I feel like, you know, so often your music, this is like, you don't have to like use this uh, space to, to complain about the way people perceive your music. Cause I'm sure that's a weird <laughs> thing to do, but, but I, from, from the outside, you know, and I've probably been guilty of it myself too, right? Like some of the adjectives people will talk about pastoral or, you know, gentle and, and, or, or, you know, and, and it is gentle music and it is beautiful music. So I don't want to like, you know, diminish the, the truth of some of this, but a lot of times I, I, I guess what I'm trying to dance around here is I feel like people are maybe a little bit, um, they, they take a very shallow at times view of your music because when you're talking about that walking the walk and like really examining the up close complexity of where you are, um, you tweeted the other day a, a quote from, uh, I, I don't know if I, I'm going to do my best, Solmaz Sharif, I think, the the poet. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You tweeted yeah, you're better than I've ever done. So. <laughs> well, you, tweet, you tweeted a, a line of, of theirs, and he said, the duty of the writer is to remind us that we will die and that we are not dead yet. Um, yeah. And so I guess, and so I was like, wow, that's so good, right? But. I would go as far as to say that that kind of uh, the kind of reflection that you're you're talking about there, or that that they were talking about and you were connecting with. I don't know that everybody always necessarily brings that when they listen to your music, and it's not that you have to totally. sit down to a Joan Shelley record and be like, "All right, let's talk about dying now." Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, like I do feel like that there's a tension in there and you wrote in the notes like uh i think you said uh i want to explain these songs i want to leave them unexplained and so i found myself thinking a lot about that i mean alive and dead that's the ultimate duality right uh uh, (laughs) unexplained and and wrapped up that's another kind of duality and and i and i love the idea of these songs living in that middle space and and uh and i wonder maybe how being home allowed you to more fully inhabit that that sort of uh the tension between some of these ideas between peacefulness and restfulness and and all of that i mean does does that am i on am i on the right trail help me joan (laughs) yeah i mean you're you're weaving in and out of a lot of themes there (laughs) that i couldn't speak to but the the bit about you know, I'm not obviously like going in on death on every song, but, um, you're right. There's like this, I sing in a way that is not 
in alignment all the time with what I'm talking about. Like, or I think it is because I think you can whisper all kinds of creepy things and, and pleasant things in the same little whispery voice. <laughs> and it'd be kind of like a, have an ASMR effect. Like I want it to have a nervous system effect. And so that's why I sing the way I sing. Yeah. And, and I want to be able to speak about things that I think about and not have them be like melodramatic, you know, like I feel right. like I've, I've listened to so many people kind of over saying that, like, cause, cause their words wouldn't even that be that strong. So they'd had to, I thought it was like overperforming something with less content. So I feel like I'm trying to do the opposite. I want to pack as much in there and just like do as little work as possible. And for people who want to lean yeah. in, they can have that, you know, yeah. they can lean yeah. in. Um, and then there, like you're saying with the duality is like being home and a lot of people experience this. I mean, that's why we had so many social movements during our supposed stagnancy, you know, like yeah, you sit at home and you're supposed to be still and at peace. And that's when um, we really like had a pause to then like vent a lot of the pent up frustrations and rage and the, you know, righteous stuff. And so in Louisville, we had a good, <laughs> good exercising of our, you know, of our horror at our, yeah. at our place too. So it was like, I don't know. There's, there was the beauty and the total tragedy to look at here. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, on a real, just general level uh, and not to be like crass or, or do you think of, I mean, do you, do you think about death pretty often? Is that a, is that a, a topic that, that you make space for in your head or how do you make space yes, for it? Maybe that's a better I'm, way to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always been interested like in anthropology and, mm -hmm. um, the cultural in other cultures, there would be such rich music around death and life and, you know, weddings and stuff. And my experience as a child was not that like mm -hmm. pretty much the same prom song was played at the same, at a wedding was played at a, <laughs> you know, at a rave. It didn't have any kind of custom fit. Um, and I, I really admired how seriously people handled death in when I looked at other cultures with, um, but I think I also just think of death because I'm such a student of nature. Like I am yeah. interested in how a garden works. And if you are a gardener and you don't want to just go buy a plastic bag of soil every time you're working with death all the time, you're working with rot and that's how we get all the flowers. Like, you know, that if right. you're looking, yeah. so I guess I look at that in our moment now when I look at like, well, I look at some things that aren't working in society or whatever, or in my family, I'm like, some things are hanging on too long, some yeah. forms. So it's not always literal death that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about all the ways that cycles work and how yeah, much we fight for an over survive. You know, we're trying to hang on to things a little too um, tightly sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's really, um, it's a complex, it's a complex thing to wrap y your head around, you know, and we really are as a, you know, as a country, y you know, like a lot of, a lot of outdated ways of thinking. Yeah. 
are stubbornly clinging to mm-hmm. to the apparatus, right? And 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 on one hand, it's clear, you know, you talked a little bit about the the unrest and the protests, especially of the summer of 2020. Um, and it's clear how necessary and it, it's clear that it didn't, it didn't, it didn't even last long enough, right? Like that, that, that level of intensity needed to, to be maintained for longer in order to force change or whatever. But, but from an empathetic other side, step into somebody else's shoes, like the kind of thing you're talking about, letting old ideas go, that is scary too, right? I mean, that's a difficult thing for us as people. We're not wired to want. The other day I went mm-hmm. <laughs> and I bought beer at the store and I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going somewhere with this. I promise. Okay. <laughs> and I, uh, and, uh, and I got carded, which is always flattering and nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have long hair in my, in my photo and the, and the clerk was like, why did you, why did you cut your hair? And I was like, oh, it's time. It was just time for a change. And she said, change is not good. <laughs> she like looked me very wow. like intently in the eye and said oh, that. Wow. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> uh, okay. But I thought about it. It's like, it's like stuck with me, right? Like we are, it's it, like one of the things I like about music is that it offers a space, creates a, a condition in which uh, we can think about things that we don't always have the capacity to, you know? So... Like when I think about the relationship between death and music, it's, it's death is a fundamentally abstract concept to us. You know, although it's undeniably real, it also exists primarily in our head. And so I feel like music offers us this space where we can, I don't know, we're somehow like you saying in the bio, I want to explain these songs and I, and I want to leave them unexplained. It's like, for me, the idea of, when I talk with people about music is like, how can we somehow do both? Does that, you know, uh, and I feel like music because of its inherent, there's still a, a, like a mysterious quality to music and to your music specifically, an allure of the, of the not stated. And you talk about that in the, in the bio too, citing Wendell Berry and talking about the silence from which poetry emerges and not wanting to disturb that silence with the poem to me i could just think about that all day long you know um and i guess i wonder like what kind of relationship do you have with that idea at this stage in your life as a recording artist and as as an artist who's been making art for a long time like what does that that mean that that silence and what is it about that that you don't want to disrupt or undo when you're making music? It's the, it's something I learned from songwriting. The way songs have always come to me it requires a kind of stillness and a kind of listening for there to be an idea. So like if you're yeah, I don't just like sit down at eight o'clock in the morning and be like, and I have my coffee and I go, there's a, (laughs) um, there's always been a kind of like, okay, be in a certain room, maybe like mess with a few things on the table. Like there's a, (laughs) there's a, um, what is it? What's the word? Like a no, a non-linear mindset that you have to get ready to 
let anything come in. It's like fishing or something. It's like, get all your accessories, you know, and then sit down. Yeah. And, um, and because I learned that from a very, like uh, my muscle memory, my mental muscle memory for that was so good. I was, I saw how it worked where, um, I'm kind of losing the thread here, but it's okay. <laughs> but just, I, it, I, I take that into the world and I see like, Oh, that's, that is what Wendell Berry's talking about there. That silence, um, is such an important place for like the shifting of gears. Yeah. And we don't do it a lot. We don't have a lot of space to do that. And certainly now having a kid around, like I understand a lot of people don't have time to do that <laughs> at all. Sure. Um, sure. But th- that is like a really critical part of being human to me. Like, Oh, what a, what a little magic trick it is. So the silence is a big part of it. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. In Amberlit Morning, the song that I mentioned with Bill Callahan, there's a lyric. I love that lyric. It takes so much to be human, um, which to me is like a. <laughs> it it's one of those lines that contains multitudes, you know, as all good poetry does. Um, but I, 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 yeah, that the kind of silence you're talking about, it, it's like this generative thing. But yeah, you do have to make you do have to wait for it, right? You, you can't command it. You have to, you have to adhere to it rather than the other way around. And I think so often we think of songwriting in a sort of like, I am going to shape this idea into a thing. And it's, you know, it sounds like yeah. you're talking about just giving it a little bit more room to breathe, you know, not shaping. Well, I think the- you can, you can definitely sit down and be one of those songwriters who's like, I have a task and this is the kind of, jingle I want to write or whatever. There's an industrial model for it. And I guess I'm saying I value the other one. Yeah. 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 Which I mean, which gets into Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry is somebody whose work I have engaged with um, some, you know, but not enough. So I certainly don't want to present myself as a, uh, any sort of expert, you know, but I do think that like, it's, it's clear that that At the risk of sounding like preachy or, 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 or didactic, you know, the kind of connection he's talking about with nature and the kind of connection you're talking about with nature in terms of like understanding decay as a part of the thing, right? As a part of the engine that creates new life. I think that his, his view of like, if, if we can be connected to the world in a real meaningful tangible way where we actually are planting the trees that we will harvest fruit from much later. I think there's an instructiveness to that kind of life that we're, we're lacking in a lot of our day to day, you know, um, 
the kind of culture that we've created. And it makes me wonder if, if we were able to make those connections and understand the connectivity to the place that we come from, how much of an easier time we might have conceiving of the connections that we have to other people, you know, does that make any, any sense? I can't imagine that it wouldn't. I mean, yeah, I think that's what you learn when you're a part of the natural ecosystem, when you look at it and you appreciate different parts of it, like the interconnectivity is so becomes mind blowing. Like you heard about the fungus that like transports information throughout a forest. It's like, there's a crazy (laughs) thing going on here and we treat it as if you can just like plug stuff in and water and apply nutrients. And it's all the same. It's like, well, yes, you maybe can do that for a certain amount of time, but this, like this whole thing has been going on for how long? And like, yeah, it has. Yeah. So rich in analogies and maybe those analogies are just, they can be like nature. Poetry can be extractive. You're like, you're just as beautiful as a rose and a (laughs) there's that, but there's also like the analogies that help us be human too, because like with a lot of human inventions, we are just imitating something in nature. And yeah. I think you could take that to a lot of levels with the in, yeah connections between humans, how to be, how to be. So, well, speaking of the connections with other humans, let's pivot a little bit to, uh, I wanted to ask about James Elkington, who's obviously rules and is great and is a really deep listener. Uh, he produced this record. I wonder what what do you, what do you like most about about working with him in the studio? I think Jim has magically preserved some little kid in himself where you wouldn't he's not like silly or anything, but he's just like he's so in touch, like reactive, like oh, this sound is exactly what I want to hear, you know, and he just goes and reaches for it and plays because he's so capable as a musician. He'll play like just the right thing, and he's not. Um, <laughs> what's the way I could say this is less funny the um he's less like acrobat like demonstration like oh look at I can play guitar he's never like yeah. that he's always in service of the songs yeah um so he's not like on the wow wow pedal just like again he's not melodramatic yeah. so this is like he's just the perfect um kind of Swiss army knife for the songs that we make. And I just love when he and Nathan get together and do something on guitar. It's a joy. He's a pure joy bean. <laughs> yeah. Were the, um, was it mostly the three of you in the studio or did you have some of the other musicians there with you or were they more like remote collaborate collaborations and stuff? People like Meg Baird and, and Spencer Tweedy, who plays on the record, and, and some of the others. Was it mostly the three of you in the studio, or did you have a full a full band in there? It was all locked down at the time of yeah. recording. So Jim was actually in Chicago, and Nathan and I did all the recording um, around the mics together. So we were the core, and then Jim did his um, recording with... Nick McCree, the bass player and the horns mm-hmm. and the strings and all that in Chicago. And Meg was in California. Bill was in Texas. It was a big, uh, yeah. Online collaboration or through the internet sending Nation- files <laughs> nationwide. Uh, mm-hmm. You also, you've, you've also got like some lyrical contributors who, who worked with you. Uh, uh Callahan, uh, contributed, contributed some to Amberlit morning, but you've also got mm-hmm. Katie Peabody and, and the novelist Max Porter. Um, have you 
correct me. I mean, have you have you worked with other lyricists on on past records too? Not really. I mean, I used to throw songs at Will Oldham, and he would he'd be like, "Oh, what if you did that?" You know, he would tweak, but he never do- wanted to like. We were like, "Oh yeah, that's just part of how you." It wasn't like a full-on official co-write, but in this one, I just felt like I really wanted to give credit where there were bigger co-writes in here and then smaller ones, but because so many of the songs happened through a songwriting group that we came up with, um, and so many came from my, you know, they were my audience. I had an audience of five people that I wrote a song a week for. And they so much shaped the song. So Katie wrote the prompt in that one, uh, in the spur that started the yeah. song off. And and then the other, like with Max, that happened through just a couple, you know, just finding each other on the internet and 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 having a couple projects over the years. So um, what, it was a new what, thing for me. What was being in this songwriting group like? And and how different is one song a week? versus your your normal writing kind of process is that is is a song a week not you know is that is is that something you might do even if you weren't in the group or was there a little bit more like of a a structure that was applied that you know was new for you um that was more than i would do definitely regularly because i kind of have storms of writing yeah they'll just be fully formed the whole song shows up in four hours and then, you know, so I'm making like, I had been making a record a year. So that's not that, you know, and I didn't throw out too many songs, but that's, it just was, I was like, oh, it's kind of boring to make it regular. Isn't it, you guys like, well, here are bad ideas. That's how it felt when we were initially committing to a once a week thing. Like, I don't want to hear everybody's junk, <laughs> Yeah, especially my own, but, sure. um, but it just, it turned out really because of how intense the time was in um, and I like all the isolation, it became an outlet for a lot of thoughts. And, um, and when you have such close listeners, I found it really stimulating to know that like my every melodic trick that I would play or a lyric would be liked by someone I know likes this kind of internal rhyme or whatever. Like yeah. I was writing for a very attentive audience. And that was really generative. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun overall. Totally. Yeah. It's really fun. Just, and everybody in the group was such a different writer that it was just really wild. And I hadn't been in something like that specifically around music. Like, you know, as you go on in the years, you usually find your people, find more of what you like and kind of go down, um, your aesthetic hole, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're more in your world that you've um, curated, if you will. And uh, and this was more like, just like cross-pollination or something. Yeah, yeah. Were any, of the, uh, were any of the other songs on this album the result of those weekly sessions? Yeah, a lot of them were. I think uh, The Spur, Home, um, Like the Thunder... Cool. I'm trying to think. Fawn. Yeah. Rest so the boy was definitely so a lot of them. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, home is another really 
great, great one, by the way. I especially love the guitar That's licks towards the end of it. Um, I'm not sure who's playing that guitar. Um, That's Nathan and Jim together there, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so great. It that sounds so, so great. But you know, your guitar playing on the record is also killer. And so you're and you're playing Resonator on some of this. I think that was something that started to come in with the last record. Is that right? Yeah, it happened actually first when I went to the Tweety Loft, the Wilco Loft, and we and did the, had, the self the self titled. Yeah. yeah, the self titled one. I brought my banjo, and Jeff very kindly just suggested the resonator instead. So I threw the resonator into the banjo tuning and found that was really satisfying. It just, I mean, they have a very similar idea. Both are instruments. They're trying to get the, they're trying to be loud. It resonates. And, um, and when you have them in an open tuning, it has such a great blend. Uh, so I kind of just stuck with that. You might, I might've written it on the banjo, I think. And that would be the spur on this one. No, that's cool. Do you uh, are are you usually in open tunings with with all of these songs? Actually, a lot of these were in standard more than normal um, because of the songwriting group, honestly. Because there would be the, like, yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah. I thought I thought that might that might be the case, right? Because especially when you're mm. trying to explain songs to other people, you're kind of like. I could just I could write this in a weird tuning and then explain it, but it's like, or I could try writing it in standard. What was the, you know, um, was was that an interesting for, format for you to to just be in standard tuning? And did you find yourself, you know, thinking differently about your compositional practice? Yeah, in standard you have more options. At least I do because I don't memorize all the like finger forms for like an open tuning that's a little more limiting um so it kind of there's some songs that seem to get more into a traditional song form i want to say i don't really maybe i don't know what i'm talking about no it's cool (laughs) yeah i don't know how much it had an influence it's i'm really uh what is it called i mean my guitar playing i really love playing guitar but um but I don't even try to practice to get better. I'm, I'm playing guitar mostly to get a rhythm and a beat across under my voice that will push against it. Syncopate in some way that makes it, um, that like kind of lifts up the words and yeah, that's it. Like once I've done that, I'm not like, okay. And I also need to shred here so that they know I'm really good. I wish I was that way because it's really fun to watch other people do it. But I, I just like, I'm very utilitarian there. I just want to get the rhythm. Well, well, you got plenty of time. You can kind of go full like Steve Vai on the next record, cool. probably. You yeah, know? yeah. Who knows how long we'll be in this? So I got to start. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it, it seems like just you know, I have alluded to some of the 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 sort of like the 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 beautiful spookiness on some of this record you know um and some of that tension but it it does also sound especially a song like home where you're like this sounds like it was fun to play like were were you having were you and nathan having fun making this record definitely more uh chill than ever like yeah because i was pregnant i was like i'm not pushing myself yeah, You know, like that's for the birds. That was for before when, you know, like I kind of had a, 
I was like, oh, we got to, you know, we got to work overtime. We got to like get this as many things in here as possible. I was like, sure, if this sure. isn't fun, it's not worth it. We're going home. So we did it as long as it was like fun, you know? And I think it, I think that comes across in the songs. I don't know. Um, it does. Yeah. That chill, that chill vibe, it, you know, it. it's, it's, it's in there somehow <laughs> it's in there. Yeah. Cause there's this like earlier self I think you see it in a lot of kids, like when they're making their first records and stuff, like kind of up on their tiptoes, up on that mic, like just yeah. like just straining to tell the world who they are. And it's like, I finally really feel very in the center of myself. Um, like literally when you have a human being growing inside you. So Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I mean, absolutely. You, I loved how you, yeah. In, in the notes, I think you referred to something as like, uh, we return to the feral tree farm, raising goats, chickens, listening to birds, watching the river, growing a child. And I thought to myself, yeah, like there's a human inside you while you're making this record. <laughs> that is such an incredible and interesting thing. Um, and I could see that. Yeah contributing to your sense of of centeredness on this album you (laughs) amber lit morning which we've talked about a little bit you 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 wrote that you imagined it as a duet that would feel like a conversation between two constellations and uh obviously you're such a great poetic writer and you're an you're you're a great prose writer in addition to you know music um no i wouldn't say so but thank you (laughs) oh but that line a conversation between two constellations that's incredible i wonder if you could tell me like what when you when you write something like that you know um what kind of what kind of thinking you know what kind of conversations do you have with a partner like bill callahan with a collaborator about the about the song if any you know are there song are there conversations where you say like this is sort of where my heart's at with this one or where my head's at or you know what what kind of what kind of like prep work do you have to do or do you just send it on over yeah and just be like do your thing and we'll we'll figure out what it is later you know yeah no i actually wrote that line to him in my pitch of like, yeah. and that's why it's kind of poetic like that. I was trying to kind of whip him up into the emotional flurry <laughs> that I yeah. was thinking of and, and trying to evoke it the best I could. And I like writing from that space. It's been one of the kind of characters in my pantheon of reoccurring symbols and things. It's just like the vacuum talking across this like stellar vacuum. It's just so it's one of the places I go to. And, uh, I wrote to Bill just kind of like, let's, can we go here with this? You know, like, can you be another voice to, and think to talk to me across the cosmic space instead of maybe, you know, the, uh, a million other places we can imagine ourselves. Um, very, yeah like the room we're in would be an obvious default. So it's, so it just kind of, I like seeing human beings from a far distance. It's so safe that way, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. And also coming out of the pandemic uh, thing where <laughs> if we saw people, it probably was from a, a far distance, you know, if they weren't somebody who lived in your house or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, a, yeah, yeah. But that's such a beautiful, that's such a beautiful way to put it, you know, and, and, and the, the mythical bedtime story aspect of it is, is, is such a cool, is such a cool thought, you know, and also gets to that feeling of, um, 
of space that I was talking about with these songs too. You know, you talked earlier about the divide, you know, under the Atlantic or whatever, you know, and how that's growing. And it's like, so it sounds like that's kind of a reoccurring thing for you, this idea of communicating across vast distances. And, and, that exists in the music before the the pandemic and before the you know um, before all all of all of the sort of more literal e- examples of, of of how that can happen. So I think that's that's a really that's a really fascinating thing. And and I think you mentioned earlier that 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 Katie provided a prompt for the spur. How often do you start with something like that, like a writing prompt or a or a scenario? like the one with Bill, you know, do the songs usually have something like that sort of at their, at their root? In this album? Yes. Before, not so much. I don't think sure. I'd written a couple with prompts, but, um, I kind of felt like I had been a purist before where I thought like I had to have almost a channeling event, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I yeah. would play regularly. Like I would sit down at the piano or guitar or whatever and pluck out a tune and and realize like, okay, this one's not going anywhere, but I'll finish it as far as I can get. But when I got a real song, it would be this big, like a, a rival. So the song prompts was a new thing. And I think it was a really fruitful one because every album's different. Like the writing changes so often. Every time I think like, this is my system, the system changes. So that's, this is how yeah. the system changed this time. You got to keep yourself on your toes as a songwriter. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the sort of channeling thing because I was looking back at some of the stuff that I had written and and when I wrote about, um, the last record, I, I'd cited something that you had said, which was, you said the best music would be a conversation with the divine. Um, and I wonder, does, does that, is that how the spur feels as well? Or does it, how, how, you know, does, could, could you apply that sort of, uh, best music uh, designation to to the spur does this also feel something like a conversation with the the divine for you i think it's an aspirational thing that no i i think these feel like uh more pointed at people maybe than i'm ever used to like yeah when i yeah. say that before i really love uh, hafiz or hafiz i don't know how you say his name but the sufi poet um hmm really he's the poems that he writes are these like he's in love with this with the sun you know the sun is the the symbol for the divine and like we'll drink wine we'll this like spinning indulgent love that yeah is conjured up with who he thinks of as god or in this sometimes it's the world or it is a lover and it's just like the it's you know just kind of this intoxicating i love that and, and I think I had to be more confronted with real people and problems in these songs because of the like intensity of the time I was in, um, really dealing with my own parents and my own family because I, you know, I didn't know I was going to have a kid, but I think that was something that was like laying the groundwork for having this kid. And, um, just like the cycles of life coming around to be like, nope, time to time to clean the closets out, (laughs) you know, and realizing that the society was doing it too. It wasn't just me. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, It's funny too, because like, you know, my conversation with Nathan about his record Psalms, you know, uh, we talked a lot about, 
about the divine too, right? You know, this like, and, and I, and I wonder if, you know, even if the songs on the spur are more rooted in, um, human to human contact and, and sort of person to person, non, non divine, uh, right. <laughs> uh, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about, about your conception of the, of, of the divine, if anything, you know, I mean, do, do you have a conception of a kind of higher power for yourself personally? And does it interact with your art at all? I don't have a, a magical God figure in my life. Like I don't have yeah. a, um, true belief in a deity <laughs> Yeah, that, because I'm very reactive, reactive to the, my dad's family's Catholic. He was raised Catholic and I see mm. how much he was bruised by it. And so many hypocrisies that were revealed mm-hmm. to like specific to how they treated him as a person and how the world, how, you know, just like the history is so ugly when you look at most any religion. So I was so aware of that, that I looked elsewhere mm-hmm. or didn't look, you know, I was like, well, that these are anthropologically speaking, like, look at all the ways humans cope with existence. That's kind of how it looks to me still, except for there is something in generate generative behaviors, like in cell division, all that stuff. I'm like, what is going on? Because truly, um, like we don't know how we can't reproduce a tree. We don't know how that works. So I give my, my higher, my divine is just in that unknown space, just like in awe of the creative burst of energy. Like how kids are just like supercharged with the turbo force. And you're like, well, what is that? But that life force in them is so real. So like you see it. (laughs) So, and some people have, yeah, it just, that to me is undeniable. Something, magical something other than that what my linear brain can grasp and i like dwelling there sure imagining what that is yeah i mean absolutely and i think that that is like a i personally think that's such a valid conception of divinity right is like this is the big mystery that i don't know and uh I won't pretend that I do know what it is. You know what I mean? To me, there's like a humility to that that feels, um, if not the exact same expression as like, you know, a sort of religious impulse, at least like a cousin to it, right? The sort of kind of humility and and awe, awestruck. And, and, then, and then I think about how God and, and, and our ideas about the divine how that's always been tied to, to music, you know? And so that's one of the ways we express that question or try to engage that mystery. And I feel like I, I, I kind of hear that in your, in your stuff too. Um, especially this record with its, with its sort of, um, I, I don't know, the, the, reconciliation of sort of uh difficult to 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 reconcile ideas is i guess what is what i sort of hear the most you know um 
and and it's and it's it's really just such a it's such a it's such a great record and it's it's really it's really been a lot of fun to listen to it and and quite a comforting comforting thing have you already started have you started work on on the next one i know that due to the pandemic and the supply chain issues and everything else <laughs> you know that like you probably finished this one a minute ago uh are you already working on the next record or, or, or writing more or has that storm not come yet? Well, I did stop with the baby running around. She's starting to sure. step, you know, and you're like, uh Oh, any day now it's like Godzilla She's... steps. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen next, but I have written, um, songs in little bits of time that I find. And I'm curious where they'll go. I definitely have a, a desire to write songs that will be played by bands. Like, you know, just see your friends together again and like make a different kind of sound. Hell yeah. Express. And, uh, I'm sure that this summer will be fruitful for some of that. Just getting to connect again. You, you, you said you, in the, in the, in the bio, you talk about you sing, uh, some of the songs to her. She likes the song completely. Um, uh, did your did your did your parents sing to you too, Joan? Yeah, I don't know if to me. My mom would sing a lot. I remember singing in the car. She would sing harmony with the whatever was playing, like when she knew the song or something. And she loved a lot of like world music, folk music stuff. Yeah. So um, I do. She had brought music into my world. Um, but she was never confident. It's interesting how so many people are like, Oh, I'm not a singer. Oh, I don't do that. They do this thing. Yeah. And, uh, it really gets in the way of like passing it on to your kids, to your culture. Sure. It's like stop apologizing. Let's just sing. Let's don't worry about it. I, I read that she introduced you to the Van Morrison and Chieftains album, which, um, is a favorite <laughs> that that record rips i am a huge so i'm a huge van head from like the 80s into the early 90s the sort of oh, dang, um, yeah or like late 70s yeah you know a lot of people call it as wilderness records and uh, <laughs> under understandably right because like some of the stuff on like inarticulate speech of the heart is a little bit um you know new agey and 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 but I love the way those records sound, but the sort of traditional thing that the chieftains bring to it, what a weird thing to look back on and be like, yeah. that was a, the chieftains were like a pop <laughs> act. Like people, right. normal, I, I, quote unquote, normal people bought those records, you know, yeah, like a was, lot. I think, <laughs> I think in our house, it was like the Enya CD and the oh. Chieftains CD right next to each other. Yeah, Which I think Enya. speaks to the kind of level they were all at. Enya is such an, another example, right? Where you're like this sort of beautiful, uh, mysterious fairy music or something was yeah. not only a, accepted and put out by major labels, <laughs> not only backed by major labels, but commercially viable and successful right. and 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 beloved, you know? And I think yeah. like, man, what a weird stretch we were in back then when like the Gregorian chants CDs oh were God, huge right. and... Yeah, what a but I mean it's also so cool because uh that stuff got into us as young people, right? You know, we heard that stuff and now it's cool that it kind of uh 
can can bubble up in in different ways. Not to say that this record sounds like the Chieftains record with with <laughs> Thank Van Morrison. Thank you for clarifying for anyone who might. Clarifying be for anybody who's just like, oh, I gotta get on this one, you know? Yeah, but, uh, I'd be deeply disappointed if you put this on it dinner and, with your children. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true though. Um, but, uh, okay, but, okay. but yeah. Um, but I thought that was so cool. And I think like, I I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to grow up with uh, a mom who, who sings to me and also sings the way you sing. And I think that your, your daughter is, uh, that's a very, that's a very cool thing for her, I would say. So, um, well, it's the thing I worry about, like every kid takes their thing for granted, whatever, this is mm-hmm. just her world. Like she doesn't think anything special of it, you know, like I'll be singing something really soothingly or whatever. And she'll just like, you know, scream and you know, like <laughs> <laughs> fart or whatever. Like she doesn't know yet <laughs> to not yeah. disturb her mother's singing or something. There's nothing <laughs> precious. It's really great. Honestly, singing the way I sing was the biggest help to me when she was a newborn. Cause that newborn stage is like, hellacious raw Mm -hmm. nerve city and just I was like oh I'm singing for her and then I realized like this is just hanging on for me like that's why they need you to sing lullabies like whatever um feelings I had to stay awake to like to not go crazy yeah (laughs) we're pushed into the music and yeah I think that's a really important thing to remember when people are like oh the lullaby singer it's like it's for her yeah 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 well, Joan, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me and talk on transmissions. It's always so lovely to speak with you. Uh, I'm glad we got to do it. And thank you for having me, of course. Am I losing my mind? Do I see all that too? Will I let it slip by me? Will we mourn what we lose? Your eyes seem to show it. I believe that they do Don't I know every color Can't I name every you When I'm losing you When I'm losing Thanks for listening to Transmissions. I know we've got so much competition for your attention on the internet. We're honored you've opted to listen to the program today. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce Transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Big thanks to Daryl Norson for his visual design assistance. And our show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard founder. Special appearance by the guys who are employing a leaf blower outside of my window. Don't miss the Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night on Sirius XMU at 7 p.m. PST. That's Justin Gage's long-running blog radio program, always the best in the biz. I want to take a, a second to remind you to rate, review, subscribe, and spread the word if you dig transmissions. Next week on the show, I'm joined by fellow podcaster and music lifer Vish Khanna of the Creative Control Podcast. We discuss, among other things, our respective interviews with Joan Shelley. Uh, do me a favor and check out the incredible Creative Control interview archive ahead of next week. Seriously, so many heavy hitters that Vish speaks with. He has great conversations with them. So uh, I hope you'll come back and join us next week as he and I rap about podcasting. All right, this transmission is concluded. <laughs>